There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. Handle care, fragile. You think about things that are so vulnerable in this world. And the first thing that comes to mind, I think, for us as humans, our babies. I'm a proud father. I've been present when my children were born. I've seen them up to this point in life succeeding. But a lot of that was dependent upon how my wife and I treated and cared for them early on when they were so very fragile. And you're terrified the moment that that little life is handed over to you. I was particularly terrified uh, the first time I had to put a car seat in the back of a car and place that baby in there and had to make it home. But you gain confidence. But you know, there's a there's another group within infants that are even more vulnerable to the horrors of this world and everything that can be inflicted upon them. They have to be guarded like uh, you can't even begin to imagine. And those are 
what are commonly referred to as neonates. These are the babies that are born many times prematurely or they have other physical issues. They almost don't seem to be living sometimes, but they are, and they begin to thrive within neonatal units. Today, we're going to talk about the wake left behind by Lucy Ledby. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. You notice I used the word wake. Wake is an interesting thing because it is, first off, it's something that's left behind most commonly associated by a boat. And you know me and my boat, love my boat, like going out on the river. And you disturb the water, which is otherwise peaceful. And you disrupt it, at least on the surface, and certainly deep down. I think that we could say that about Lucy Letby. Lucy Letby secretly attacked 13 babies on the neonatal ward at the hospital where she worked. And when the babies died, their deaths looked like natural causes. An investigation showed that the 33-year-old nurse used methods like injecting air into the babies' bloodstreams and stomachs, overfeeding infants with milk, physically assaulting them, even poisoning them with insulin. The babies she preyed on were mostly twins and triplets. So much grief in this path of destruction, so much pain, so much mourning that I don't think that any of us can begin to plumb the depths of it as to how she impacted the lives of so many families. And I would say also a nation, the UK, and the story that is nothing short of just pure horror. In the case of Lucy Letby, she had her registered nurse degree, and then she spent an additional three years of training and schooling, three more years to be able to work in the neonatal unit. And problems began almost immediately, Joe. I think it was in 2012 when she first took the position. And she's working, let me kind of set the stage because she's, this is in the UK. And so the hospital where she is is a hospital that's referred to as the Countess of Chester Hospital. This hospital is really old, certainly old by U.S. standards. It was first established, I think, like in 1829. It's like a, a mental health facility. They called it a lunatic asylum back then. But as time progressed, the nature of the place kind of changed, but it was well known. You know, Dave, that I absolutely loathe the word why. I truly do, because you, you can chase your tail all day long on this and to try to get that answer. And you, you'll never come to anything that's satisfactory. But I think a bigger, probably more appropriate question is going to begin with what? What is it that would motivate her to want to do this? And that's going to be for our friends in uh, forensic psychiatry and psychology, you know, to kind of come to that determination about her. These precious little angels who were under the care of Lucy Ledby. They remain unnamed. They're simply known as child A and B and C. Not all of them died, but Lucy Letby, just so that everyone understands, was charged and convicted of the murders of seven little babies in this old, old hospital. And it's not the first time this has ever happened in history, but I don't know that it's ever happened to this level. And the real shame is that it was not picked up on quick enough. 
she was able to still have access to kids, even after the alarms were raised. They had a number of checks and balances here that were ignored, and that is what allowed her access. But very simply, in a neonatal unit, you're going to have children are going to pass. They are going to die. A sick infant is as fragile as it gets. And you know, suspicions arose around Lucy fairly quickly when she finally, finally got approved for that to work in this unit. They saw changes right away. Just simple mathematical changes. They were used to having, you know, two or three babies that might pass in a year. And they had that going on in a month. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that you kind of keep watch over in a hospital, uh, particularly on units like this. Units like the NICU, the Neo Care Unit, or even the ICU for adults. Because when you, you think about it, the mortality rate, there is a correlation, some believe, between the mortality rate and treatment. And that makes sense. Now, everything's going to have multiple variables, you know, when you look at statistically, because some people have other complicating factors that are at work. Some people, you know, as I mentioned, have genetic predispositions. It doesn't matter how hard you try. There's just certain things that you're not going to be able to overcome within the medical sciences. It's they try and they try. But you want to try to see if there's a correlation. And with Letby, there was a, a statistically significant number of deaths that began to occur. I think that the first murder actually occurred June 8th. It, 2015. And they didn't know what happened. I mean, within 30 minutes or so of her, well, 90 minutes of her coming on duty, that's another corollary that you look for in an investigation like this, a medical investigation. This child was dead and they refer to this child as child A. And that that's key, particularly from an investigative standpoint. And, you know, medicine is a lot about investigations, Dave. It truly is. From a medical legal perspective, we've got that same nose because we're trying to determine what happened. Whereas with people that are in medicine, they're not only trying to find out what happened, but now they're trying to develop a treatment course. But for all of these children, it ended in a terminal event. And within 90 minutes, the murder of child A, of Lucy Letby's attendance there when she arrived, child just began to crash. And other than that, the child was doing fine. Starting with that June 8th death, there were four children on the neonatal unit that crashed, that three of them died. One did survive. There was one common denominator through all of them, and it was that Lucy Letby was on the unit working with these children during this entire time with all four of them. When the consultants were looking at this, they did notice, hey, we've got the same nurse. What are the odds? And they were able to break this down and they made it. They made an error in classification because they instead of listing the deaths as something more uh, that they were more than just an unexplained collapse, they listed these deaths as medication errors. Had they been addressed as a, quote, serious incident involving unexpected deaths, which is what they actually were, they would have been investigated differently. But that didn't happen, which is how she was able to continue. One of the things that you look for, and I find it interesting, medication errors, there's really technically only one case that involved medication. And we have her, Letby, actually pushing a bolus of insulin on an 
a neonate. And that's almost unheard of. During that child's course, there was no indication that the child had any kind of issues relative to their pancreas not being able to produce insulin. In the insulin cart, all the drugs in on hospital units are locked up. They have a drug cart that they go to, and it's it's carefully watched. Things have to be logged in and logged out. Now it's done digitally. So when you get access to this area, it has to be accounted for, and there has to be explaining that's done. And I don't really see how that kind of flew under the radar with them. You have to have a justification to go to that secured area to retrieve that medication. And also, that medication has to be written down in the doctor's orders. Now, there are certain things that nurses do as part of the daily course of them providing patient care. It's understood. And there are many things that doctors, they don't have a clue about. If I'm going to be treated in a hospital, I'd much be treated by <laughs> nurses than treated by a doctor most of the time. The doctor kind of blows in and blows out. And I've been in many circumstances where you'll see the nurse kind of raise their eyebrow about suggestions that the doctor makes and that sort of thing. But the doctor does have to write out orders for very specific things. But, you know, it, this goes to a bigger piece is who has access to the children to these babies on this unit and what kind of methodology would be employed here. Now, when you have neonates like this, and you can have adults that are on ICU or cardiac care units, these sorts of things, you're going to have an indwelling IV, all right? So with indwelling IV, there's a port where you can push drugs and that means that you inject the port, you don't inject the person. So they draw up whatever type of drug it is, and they'll insert the syringe into that port and then push the drug that is being prescribed. All right. So you're not going to have, you have one central area where this the medication, for instance, will be inserted into. You're not going to have multiple, like what we refer to in forensics as NPWs. Well, Physicians and nurses do too. Those are needle puncture wounds. If you've got like, for instance, an individual that has been, I'll give you a little aside here. When we're looking, say, for instance, at a syringe being applied to a heroin abuser, they're going into like either the left or the right, what we refer to as the antecubital fossa. In other words, it's a fancy term for the crooks of the arm. Thank you for clarifying that. I had no, I didn't know if you were talking about the bottom of a dude's foot or his neck. In short, it's referred to as the ACF. So if you're talking about somebody that's out on the street and they're injecting, what we will do is we'll literally, some physicians refer to it as milking the arm at autopsy. You'll start up in the, you'll extend the arm, you'll break rigor mortis, and you'll extend the arm even through rigor so that the arm is completely straight. And starting at the bicep, you squeeze down the length of the arm. And as you tightly squeeze down the decedent's arm, you can begin to appreciate if there's a presentation of blood and a fresh needle puncture wound. Well, in the case of hospital care, you're not going to have like NPWs all over the place once the person is on the floor and they're being treated, you'll have a central line that has been placed into the arm, say where the IV goes, and then you'll have this push that takes place. You can also have, which in the case of neonates, you'll have perhaps a feeding tube 
that's in place as well. And so this gives you access, say, for instance, to the tummy so that they can uptake nutrition. And so that's those are some of the access points that you might have in the case of someone that was looking to do great harm to one of these little fragile lives. So Lucy Letby already had everything she needed. Yeah, yeah. This is probably why her murders, the murders that she was committing, were not picked up on as quickly. As a clinician, you're not sitting there thinking this is a homicide. Okay, they're always, God bless them, people in the medical field are always thinking about treatment, 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 therapy, therapy, therapy. We want to try to heal this individual. And so if they try A and A doesn't work, they're trying everything that they possibly can and the patient succumbs and dies. They'll try to investigate that as best they can. There are certain things doctors, nurses expect when a baby is crashing and they do step-by-step, here are the things we need to do to resuscitate this baby. And they have a reasonable expectation that the baby will react in certain ways. And in this case, of the first four children, the three that died and the one that survived, in the case of the three that passed away, they did not respond properly. They did not respond as expected, rather, and died. When you've got A child that is born, say, prematurely, those cases are not always reportable to the coroner. So you're not necessarily going to have someone trained in forensic pathology that's going to get their eyes on the children immediately. And the family might not. This is another way that this can be masked. The family's already been through enough, Dave. Okay, they might not necessarily want the hospital to do an autopsy. Now, that autopsy would be a clinical autopsy. It would be done in a hospital setting. So those are not forensic pathologists that work in a hospital in most cases. Some hospital pathologists do, in fact, have forensic certifications, okay? But the lion's share of them are clinical anatomic pathologists that, you know, look at tissues under slides and they run the lab and all these sorts of things. And yes, they do autopsies, but it's from a clinical perspective to try to understand what brought about not just the death, but also what happened during the clinical course, you know, to try to help make the clinicians better. And secondarily to that, I think, in that setting to try to give the family the answers. But if you're not doing autopsies and the family would probably say, no, I don't want that to happen. Where this can be a real mask is if you've got kids that are babies that are born prematurely, they're already compromised to this point. Remember, they're they're struggling just to survive. Hence, that's why they're on a neonatal unit. It's going to be hard for them to to rationalize why you should put them through anything else. And they're not necessarily going to want to go down the road to have an autopsy performed. So would somebody with bad intentions like Lucy Letby enters into the world of these little fragile, fragile angels, the fact that they were already up against the odds only heightens the probability that she can get away with pure evil.
I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and a big shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing free samples. I live in an area where allergies are a day-to-day issue, and finding an over-the-counter option for relief is like the holy grail. I use Astapro, and I strongly recommend you give it a try. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, and it's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays can take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet... There's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you're a trained clinician and you're dealing with the most fragile of lives and when you're in an environment where just imagine if you can, you're in a, a lockdown area with critically ill babies and you're this monster, right? And if you did a 360 degree kind of panoramic turn all the way around in the room, everywhere at waist level in these little incubators are potential victims. I'm not really interested in her motivation. What I am interested in is the fact that she did it and she had access to these children for a protracted period of time. There were some reports that came out, Dave, where when 
a code was called. And when they call a code, that means that the child, the patient is going into arrest. You've heard the old term in hospitals where you'll see it in movies where they'll call a code blue. And code blue means cardiac arrest, that sort of thing. So that means all hands on deck. And so people will go racing through the hospital to get to that location in order to save a life. And you can have people come from multiple locations. But this is kind of a Within the neonatal world, like you said, she had to have specific training to be in there. So you've got a limited group of people that would be responding to this. But some of the remarks that came forward from Letby's trial and, you know, some of the peripherals that were involved in this, the other clinicians that would come over when these children were in distress, they said that there were noises emanating in pain that they had never heard. You know, babies cry. That's what they do. They cry to let you know that they have needs. All right. You and I both know that very well. But when a child is in pain and they're screaming out, you're trying to do everything that you can to soothe them. There is nothing, according to these clinicians, that they could do to kind of thwart this howling that was going on. They tried everything to comfort these children. And a lot of this had to do with the pain and discomfort that is associated with either having a bolus of air injected into their IV line. What happens to the body when air is injected like that? What happens is that there are any number of emboli that can be created. We have cases in forensics where we'll have a bullet emboli, if you can believe that. You know, I've worked through work cases where there's been a person that was shot projectile got into the bloodstream and it created a blockage and the person died. You can have all manner of fat emboli that all these things are lethal because it creates this kind of gap in the blood flow and blood flow is in fact inhibited. You can generally what we're well specifically what we're talking about here is actually a gas embolism. And it can come about as a result of any gas that is introduced into the bloodstream. And it's going to cause pretty pretty quickly death most of the time, but it's a very painful death. And when the clinicians that were tasked, these they refer to them as investigators, medical investigators that, that went back to try to go through all of these records. Here's the thing that they were faced with. Even though we've heard about people being injected with air for years and years in cases of, of homicide. We've heard this before. I have since I was a small child in kind of a literary form. There's not a lot of research, as you can imagine, because it's a fatal event. When I was preparing for the show today, I, I read back into my go-to text, which is called Spitz and Fisher. It's our medical legal Bible. It was written back in the 60s. And I think it was Dr. Spitz had written that there was a study that was performed on canines, and they tried to match the weight equivalency of an adult male with a canine. I know this is horrible. People don't want to hear this, but this is the way they they gauge this, how long it would take for an animal to die as a result of being injected with air. It comes about very quickly. The fact that Air would be introduced into an IV line at some point in time, and the child survived. It would be the exception and not the norm, particularly, you know, a little fragile life like this. Not all of these cases were air being injected into lines. You had a, a nasogastric tube, which is essentially a feeding tube, where 
air was pushed into the stomach, which again is horrible. It's absolutely horrible. The abdomen distends. There's an incredible amount of pain associated with this. And finally, the child goes into cardiac arrest. And here, here's the thing about it is that it virtually leaves little or no, no sign. But there's this one anomaly that occurs. There are color changes that will happen in the event that you have an IV air embolism. The child's pallor will change in color. In at least three of the cases, and Spitz actually talked about this in in his writings back in the 60s, there is a a color change that takes place with with this introduction of air vis-a-vis the IV. Now, we're not talking about air going into the gastric tube. We're talking about air being injected. And so three of the clinicians that were on duty actually bore witness to this, to see this color change that had taken place in these babies. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of the first ones where they saw this manifested was, I think, the child they refer to as child D. And that would have been all the way back, Dave, on the 22nd of June. Remember, her first kill, her first murder took place on the 8th of June. And just in that that June period, you had four attempts and three fatalities. And that was early on. It's almost like she had started with a flourish that in that moment of time, she it's almost like she was in this murderous feeding frenzy. And then again, it continued on into August at that point in time. I think the child E was murdered back in like August the 4th. You had another one that was attempted on August the 5th. This is a neonatal unit. I want to back up and remind everybody that's what we are dealing with. Children that were already in a very fragile state. In the case of the very first child on June 8th, it was a twin. And when the twin actually had been healthy and all of a sudden went through the exact same thing as the first child, that's when everybody on the unit was going bonkers. What do we do? There's something bad happening. Everything on the neonatal unit changed with Lucy Letby. Think about it. You don't expect somebody who is trained to work with babies that has a, a good rapport with their parents and doesn't see. I mean, it's not like the devil wearing horns and a tail. This is a nurse who's trained and appears to be loving and caring. But in the meantime, She's killing the one she's caring for. She's loving them to death. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And in the interim, there were initially reviews that were conducted on the deaths. I think the first review came about like July the 2nd. And it's noticeable, I think, that there was a gap between the murder of child D, which was back on the 22nd of June of 2015. And then there was a review that was conducted in July. And... She goes silent and then picks back up with the murder of child E. Just to be clear, Joe, exactly that. Yeah. Okay. You had the four uh, children that all collapsed, three of them dying in the month of June. You had a doctor raise the concerns over the suspicious, the sudden collapses and deaths. No action was taken against Lucy Leppy at that time. It was so fresh. We're talking, it happened in a 30 day window, but. After July 2nd, everything stopped. There was not another death between July 2nd when the doctor raised his concerns until we go to August 4th when a mother walks into the unit to give her baby boy, who is child E, his milk and finds Lucy Letby apparently in the process of attacking the child. 
She found the baby was distressed, bleeding from the mouth. He died after suffering a fatal bleed. They actually said in the report, flecks of blood were found in his vomit. Yeah, and that's that's only going to arise from some type of trauma. She's interfering, essentially interfering with the nasogastric tube. You know, she's trying to manipulate the tube, and there's also a change in her methodology. She had attempted the IV air embolism in all of the early cases with the exception of C. And murder C took place on the 14th of June. And that's when she first introduced air into the stomach and she killed this child C. Now, this was after the failed attempt, the case right before this with child B, where she tried to do the air embolism again. She migrates over to on C, child C, where she's attempting to force air into the stomach. She succeeds with it. And then child D, the last case in June of 15, she goes back to the IV. But after the review in the first murder in August, she's back on the IV air embolism again and attempts that. And that's that's when the mother had walked in. And, you know, I know people might find this hard to believe, but the next day she attempted to murder child F with insulin. So she's changing this thing up, almost like she's trying to find a groove with this, like trying to establish something that is a failsafe for her. Her goal at the end was to try to kill as many kids as she could without being detected. And her mere presence within the room, within this environment, is indicative of the fact that, you know, these children are dying on her watch. And so that's when you begin to think about this, think about the changing of the methodology. When the police finally had pinpointed her, they conducted this search of her home. Dave, she had stolen all kinds of notes, clinical notes that were stuffed into bags. She had enough self-awareness to write down things like she's guilty of this, that she's doing this and that she can't stop. And all these things, she even went so far as to send uh, send a sympathy note to one of the family members. What they found in the investigation at her apartment, thousands of pieces of evidence that came out at trial that detailed the murder and attempted murder of the babies. On one of these documents, handwritten out, she wrote, I am evil. I did this. She wrote that on a green post-it note that was found inside a diary from 2016. On that same note, she wrote, I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough. And because you have all of these clinical notes, you have this documentation, not just from what they had recovered at her home. And I'm thinking, I've worn scrub gear. I've worn a lab coat over my years. And I'm thinking, how big are your damn pockets? that you can cart all of this stuff out of the hospital. This is a major no-no anyway. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. 
I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The last three homicides she committed in this particular, in this series, the last three involved, one was a child that had hemophilia. So the clotting factors were not as they should be with a child. And any kind of trauma, particularly if you're trying to thrust a this nasogastric tube down into this precious little angel's throat, any kind of trauma like that is going to cause him to bleed out, potentially bleed out into his belly, which I think that they were able to deduce this after reflection. The two that followed after, and this is in June of, of 16, I think the third, and then just a couple of weeks later, there are triplets that are born, Dave. And the last two that she is known to have killed were actually two little brothers that were part of a group of triplets. In every one of these cases, she apparently had decided that with her methodology that she was going to employ, that she was going to use uh, the method of the nasogastric tube into the throat and in just filling that space up with air. Horrific ways to die for all of these children. And she had settled on this. It's so sad that this has gone down the way it has. I'm glad that they were finally able to come to a conclusion that she was the perpetrator in these cases because it seems as though that she had hit on something within within her mind 
that she had settled on a methodology. She could have gone on perhaps forever and ever. She could have done, can you imagine, if you will, and this is a terrible thought, what if she had become an international traveling nurse, Dave? And then she's just essentially moving from job to job all over the world. And remember, she's got a very specific skill set, doesn't she? This high-end training. And she's going to migrate around, perhaps, go to other facilities all over the place and everywhere she goes. And she's got this rattling around in the back of her mind. What was it that it said in the note? I killed them because of what? What was it? I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough. Here she is, you know, as you said, Dave, rattling around this motivation, whatever in the heck this means. I kill them because I'm not good enough. That's merely the little spark that kind of sets this thing off. Well, it doesn't matter if you change scenery in your life. You're still going to think that you're not good enough. And kind of as a little aside, she had actually left. She had actually taken holiday after the death of child N, as in the number nine, on the 3rd of June. and gone on holiday to Spain, Dave. I guess the scenery down on the beautiful beaches in Spain didn't change her mindset because when she returns from her holiday, she continues to perpetrate this crime. And this is when the pair of brothers, this group of triplets, died that day after one another. In your history of investigating what killed somebody? How was it administered? I mean, there's a fairly broad range of things you're able to narrow cast into. But would Lucy Lentby be called a serial killer in that she killed many? And we've got seven deaths of six survivors and probably many more. Does she fit that criteria to be called a serial killer? Yes. She's going to go down in the pantheon. All right. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. First off, we don't have a tremendous number of let's say it, female serial perpetrators out there. They're out there. Trust me. People have talked about them. They're out there. But Dave, you know, you mentioned, and I thought this was quite insightful on your part, because this goes more to methodology. You mentioned just a moment ago, she showed up with a loaded gun and she did. It's just the thing that the loaded, metaphorically, the gun that she had was not firing lead core projectiles. Lucy Letby is going to go down, I think, potentially in the the annals of certainly British crime as one of the most evil people that has walked that soil over there simply because of what she's done. And, and here's the thing, Dave. She was employed for a long time there. And not every life that she touched, not every little life that she touched in that natal unit succumbed to her bad intentions. Some did survive. How many more, Dave, how many more potentially passed before her gaze, before her control, that she attempted to do something or maybe it was thwarted in some way or it, it didn't succeed? How many more? And maybe those children are paying the price through life. You never know, developmentally. I think that there's probably a lot more of investigation that will go on in this case, as the years develop, but I know this, the path of destruction that she left behind is going to impact the practice of neonatal nursing for years and years to come. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Body Bags.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.